Hello and welcome. Uh, you have reached with us, listener, episode 77 of the Saints FC podcast. And I think this one is very much the 2-1 edition. We've got three <coughs> fixtures to go through. All of the fixtures ended up being 2-1-2 for the Saints, one uh, for Newcastle against the Saints. Um, <coughs> and we're going to try and cover them them all in a, a very quick hour, along with a year of Ralph what on earth is going on with Cedric, the resurgence of Shane Long, Jack Stevens, um, and you know, we might even talk about Fraser Forster and Danny Ings as well. We may even mention that it's your birthday tomorrow, Tom. So, um, Oh, ha- very exciting. Ha- happy birthday for tomorrow. Thank you very much, John. Thank you. Welcome back onto the podcast. I, I'm sure this is exactly what you were planning on doing for your birthday preparations. Hey, when you get to my age, this is this is as exciting as it gets. So don't worry about that. I've got diet coke. I've been doing my work. Can't grumble. Yeah. <laughs> um, I suppose you're probably more excited about the imminent birthday of your little one that should be coming soon. But anyway, this isn't a, a, a podcast about parenting, although it is something that we do stray onto from time to time. Um, Tom, all I can say is your life is about to change in <laughs> ways that you cannot imagine. Good and bad, you know, but it's, yeah. Oh, well. uh, uh, hopefully more good than bad. Yeah, it'll be interesting once the baby's arrived, uh, see how kind of compass mentis you are on the podcast. I might have to start bringing in some old friends, depending on how your how your mental welfare um, <laughs> stacks up. But I, d- I suppose if, if we want to talk about mentality and mental welfare, if we start with that Saints-Watford game and we knew what an important run of fixtures the, the three fixtures that we're talking about today Watford Norwich Newcastle three teams uh that you fancy Saints to beat on a good day um you're also obviously as a Saints fan aware that we can lose to them as well and with where we started uh, three weeks ago you know second bottom to Watford who were bottom the two bottom teams playing each other this game was so so important And, of course, you'd expect Saints to come out from the first second of the game and be firing on all cylinders. And that's not exactly what happened. Uh, No, it was a bit like Everton, wasn't it? All over again. It was so bizarre. I'm on a strict travel ban now, but obviously, John, you and I went to the Arsenal game. You know, we saw Saints tear into Arsenal and and Arsenal were lucky to get out of there with a point. You thought, you know, that's it. They'll take that home form. They'll take that now to their home form. They'll start bright and breezy against uh, you know a very poor Watford team, but they were all over us and we were terrible. And Hoiberg sort of set the tone, didn't he, John, with that terrible pass back uh, to I think Sarri or whatever. I think the the, the guy that scored for for Watford and the Saints were all over the shop. Yeah, I mean it. It really was shocking. Um, there were a couple of warnings of where it was going, um, and that. I mean the 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 back passes, and then I mean let's let's cover that Watford goal straight away. 
Jack Stevens, he's generally been quite good uh, since he's come back in into the side. Had one of his kind of lapses of ability um, in terms of when that ball came back to him, and he, I'm not entirely sure what he was trying to do, but it kind of seemed to graze his thigh and then go past him with Saar running in the right direction, and he wasn't at that point. He's, he changed his body shape to try and deal with the ball, and it all went horribly wrong. Yeah, he got kind of caught in two minds, didn't he? It looked like he didn't know whether to try and knee it up and hook it away, or whether to try and just knee it out. But in the end, he, he sort of just didn't do anything. He sort of just, if anything, he helped. He just sort of gave the ball a little bit of extra pace. Um, <laughs> and then he was comprehensively uh, out-sprinted for the final part. Um, you, I think, you, John, you said this on our WhatsApp group, that he has this unfortunate tendency to make what seems to be a lot of mistakes that lead to goals. Um, and I don't know whether that's true or whether that's just sort of, conf- you know, sort of confirmation bias. Yeah, because you'd probably say the same thing about Yoshida. And years gone by, you'd probably say the same thing about Hoyveld. He just sort of seems to make a lot of donkey mistakes. But it was disappointing. Stevens had been, you know, having dropped, you know, from the team, had come back in and then actually he had a really good time. And then the problem with Stevens is almost, you know, he takes two steps forward, he takes one step back every time, doesn't he, with something like that? Yeah, I mean, generally he's been quite good and, and relatively solid. I mean, <clears throat> I say relatively because he's in the Saints um, lineup, and we don't really do solid defences anymore. But he, he's been looking okay. He's been looking more than capable. But it is something about the Jack Stevens mistake always seems to lead to that goal, and and, and that was the case with Watford. But well, John, maybe it's not the Jack Stevens mistake always leads to a goal. Maybe it's the Saints and the, the Karl Anker uh, piece today in the, in the Athletic is well worth a read. Talking about the sort of three things that Southampton do, um, uh, you know, one of them is make. Uh, you know, we miss a lot of chances. We get we make a lot of mistakes back, and we get punished for those mistakes. And I think I wonder if you know if we really really think about it, we know that our defence just isn't very good. So is it just we're more likely to be punished? by a, a mistake. I mean, if you look, Bednarek, I think, up until a few weeks ago, had the most mistakes or leading to opposition goals in the Premier League. So it's not really just a Jack Stevens problem. And when you chuck into that, uh, uh, Cedric, who we'll come to, but is playing possibly the worst football. You know, I've seen any Saints player play consistently for a number of years. Uh, it does sort of make you think, like, you know, it's... Stevens gives those chances away, but we also just get relentlessly punished. And I think, you know, I mentioned Cedric there. I mentioned Bednarek. You know, even like McCarthy, you know, he's still not got a solid, I would say, a really solid keeper. If you look at Watford are down there, but I think if you look at Watford's keeper, Ben Foster, you'd probably say, if you put him in that Saints team, you know, we'd we'd be much stronger. But... Yeah, I don't know. He just seems to be one of those unfortunate players that when he makes a mistake, we seem to concede a goal. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd say... <clears throat> I mean, the mistakes are part of it. What upset me, I suppose, from that first half against Watford was just the abjectness of everything. It was terrible. I can't remember a decent chance. I think maybe um, Hoiberg had a shot which went, like, miles over in the first half. But... You know, if, is it, it's funny. I think apart from the game against Arsenal, where I think we were quite good in both halves, 
this season we don't seem to have been able to get two halves, two decent halves in a game together. And we do a good half and a bad half. And unfortunately, our bad half is normally worse than the good half is good. And, um, y- you know, we, the, the balance doesn't go in our favour. Against Watford, though, it was, you know, it was a good second half. You know, I, I put kind of then a miracle. I think the miracle is more the result. But we have seen Saints play well. And I think Buffal really set the scene, didn't he? I mean, he came on at half-time. And I, I don't know what minute it was, but there was a point where he ran through a couple of Watford defenders, took it down to the byline, pulled it back to Shane Long, who had a snapshot which was uh, tipped onto the bar by Ben Foster. And that really, I, I suppose, set the tone for the second half, didn't it? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not really sure what Buffal had to do to get on the pitch more. Um, if you look at the way we're playing at the moment, Musa looks tired. Uh, I think it's safe to say he doesn't. Yeah, he, he still is incredibly sharp, but he doesn't look like he's going to last ninety minutes. Mm. Redmond's out of form. Um, I think it's safe to say, and I, I don't know. You know, Buffal is one of those players who has proved everyone I think wrong. And, and it's great to see because he he seems to really hurt teams, doesn't he? When he comes on the pitch, he seems to always create something. He did that against Arsenal when we were there, you know, ghosting past three or four players at a time, always finding a Saints player. So I don't know what he has to do. And also, to be fair to him, he is toughened up, hasn't he? He seems to have been down the gym, been putting the weights in, and he seems to be a much better, solid defensive player. So yeah, he absolutely turned the game for Saints. There was a bit of there was a clip, wasn't there, that went viral where he sort of went through a bloke's legs twice. It's, oh, yeah. It's a bit cruel. Lovely. <laughs> um, but yeah, he does make a big difference and he kind of galvanised Saints because the Saints were incredibly poor in Watford but that, you know, that first goal which, uh, but, you know, same about Moose looks tired but what, what an assist, John. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was great. It was kind of, uh, I suppose, what Gineppo seems to do is he seems to run at players in this kind of quite scrappy way it, it's quite hard to watch and it's quite confusing to watch and I, I only imagine that's really confusing to the defenders a really nice like run down to the byline pulls it back across goal and then I mean I'm still kind of amazed how Ings managed to bundle that into the goal because there were the keeper and two other defenders around him and he somehow managed to leap over them and, and smash the ball into the top of the net whilst kind of looking like he was going to fall over but they're managing to stay on this yeah. goal we wanted it more, didn't we? But yeah. I, think, I mean, to your point about the running style of Gineppo, it's a bit like Yannick Velasse. You know, that just kind of like very ungainly, sort of flailing, sort of arm thing. But it was a great cross. And also, if you see, like, we've had a few goals this season where players have hit the byline. You know, the goal against Brighton, um, you know, where, where Buffal hits the byline. It seems to be, yeah, it's a good approach for us because we do flood the box. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we play as forward with Ward Prowse, Boyberg, and the forwards getting in there. So, you know, more of it, um, you know, it just causes chaos. It was a really smart finish from Danny Ings. Yeah. Thank and, God um, for Danny Ings. There was a, a handball which wasn't picked up by VAR in the build up to that. But I think, you know, when it comes to handballs against Watford, <laughs> uh, I'll take that because, um, God, that was awful, wasn't it? A couple of seasons ago, the Pellegrino oh. season. Was it Decore? It was, and it was the it was the the night of my engagement party, John. Which I see, you come to my engagement party? I can't remember, but um, but yeah, I remember it clear as day, clear as day. But it was horrible. But yeah, what for goal was coming to, and then that, and then the second goal. I'd been slagging off the board crowds before that. (laughs) 
name it like an idiot. Yeah. It's funny because James Ward-Prowse didn't have a particularly great game, in my opinion, from from what I watched. But they, they gave him man of the match um, at the end of it. And I can only assume that was because of his top corner um, finish, which Ben Foster very nearly got to. But it was so far into the corner and hit with enough power that he just couldn't keep it out. And so there we are. Suddenly, we're winning 2-1. Uh, yeah, and, and we take the back. lead late enough in the game that we don't have long enough to throw it away and lose and, and well, lose no, it all. We gave it a good go, didn't we? With that Damari, with that um, was it Gray? With that yeah. shot he had at the very end, the, yeah. the sort of half volley. We yeah. gave it a bloody good go at throwing that game away. But no, it was a great free kick from James or Prowse. Yeah, you can imagine like he must have practiced that all, and he has. You know, he's got probably what like a two foot window yeah. in the goal to get that in. He knows that's where the one place the goalkeeper can't get to. Well, the Ben Foster gave it a bloody good go. But no, it almost also, I like watching the reactions of the other players because even with more trials himself, he sort of didn't quite believe it had gone in at first. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, it's a great, great shot. And also, fair play to him, you know, coming for a bit of stick, but he, if you look, he, when it matters, he does step up. There's not many really players you can say that about. No, no, and you know, he he's been great, hasn't he? Because this season, you look at what like the last thirteen goals or something that we've scored, and they've been mostly shared between Danny Ings and uh, James Ward Prowse, and the only exception being Ryan Bertrand, and, and we'll get onto his goal in a bit. Um, I feel like Shane Long's got a goal coming as well. He he had an, another chance against Watford, didn't he? That was cleared off the line, mm. and <coughs> obviously every time that the the Saints lineup is announced on Twitter. You get derision about Shane Long being in the in the team, but as someone who came in for that Watford game, I, th- I thought he did pretty well. I mean, was it Long and Buffel that came on at half time? I think so. Yeah, because so. Obafemi was on in the first half, wasn't Obafemi he? Obafemi was invisible, um, and now he's just sit down the pecking order. Back to Shay Adams ahead of him. I mean, I think the Long. He's one of those players that. I imagine other professionals have a huge, have a huge like one of you know other professionals probably will never say a bad thing about him and will say actually you know you, you that's the guy you want on your team yeah whereas fans are like well you know we want Agueros we want you know you want Rashford or players like that but they can't all be like that no, I mean you know like you need you need to have players who do the the, the work that makes things uncomfortable for other teams, don't you? Particularly with Saints, if we're, if we're, if we're going to press, then Shane Long you know, is our best presser of the ball, isn't he? he? He is, and when he's got that energy up and he's running, it's just, it's it's so good to see. And he does cause havoc and problems for, for, for you know, other opposition. Um, you know, having said that, I, I'd still take... Rashford and Aguero, but you know they're they're not really available. To <laughs> us, so. Oh yeah, I mean if it's a, if it's a, if it's binary, then I would take one or the other. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would take the Rashford or Aguero. But I think he, you know, he's got really the thing with Shane Long. He's got great control. He's got a fantastic leap, and he's just got non-stop energy. And he's also very experienced and very wily. And I think there was a bit in the Norwich game where he showed that, where he sort of won the ball, chased down and flicked it against the defender to win a throw-in. But it was just a very clever bit of football. Um, I'm a big Shane Long fan. Huge. Yeah. Right, so let's let's move on to the Norwich game. Um, 
if the Watford one was the most important one, then the Norwich one wasn't very far behind because they were the other team in the relegation zone. And, and that was two six-pointers that we needed to win both of them. Um, and we did win both of them. Uh, and we're still not out of the relegation zone uh, as we speak right now. But, I mean, that just does show how important that was and, and how important that it was to not give away the points as well. First half against Norwich... I'm going to go and say this was the best first half of the season. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm torn, though, between Saints playing really well and Norwich were really bad, weren't they? Um, Norwich didn't look like a Premier League team, in my view. But you, you can only beat what's been in front of you. And Saints were all over them, weren't they? We were flying at them. James Ward-Prowse had set piece because their piece was completely unplayable. Danny Ings was unplayable. Shane Long was running and ragged we looked we looked fantastic and we scored a really good first goal yeah and uh, you know I know Norwich aren't the greatest team but for me this was the first time I really saw exactly what Ralph was trying to do with the team and seeing it working and I, I just remember like the like one of the problems that we have at home with these teams is that if a team sits back and asks us to break them down we're just no good at doing it and really, one of the reasons why we've had better results up until now away from home is because when teams are attacking us or, you know, you know when the ball's in the, you know, with, with the opponents, that's when the press works. So the four-two-two-two press works when you've got Danny Ings chasing their, their backs and blocking the passing channels and Shane Long doing the same. And this game, I really noticed that. And one of the things which I really noticed was that when we got the ball... We weren't trying to pass it up and create chances, I suppose, the traditional football way. But we were actually kind of hoofing it up, giving the ball away, and then getting Danny Ings and Shane Long to try and fight, you know, either for the first ball or for the second ball. And then people like Hoiberg and James Ward-Prowse piling in and trying to, to win, you know, the knockdown or the spill. And it just worked really, really well. And we had Norwich press back, and they didn't know what to do. They were trying to pass it out of the back, and they just couldn't do it. They, they couldn't deal with us. So... You know, I agree that Norwich weren't great, but I actually thought that that was spot on tactics. And finally, all the players seem to be following the tactics and it seems to be working. And, and John, are we saying the sort of first successful emergence of the 4 2 2 2, do you think now? Yeah, well, I mean, he used it against Arsenal and we got that 2 2 and we probably should have won. He used it against Watford, which didn't go particularly well, but then eventually we got the result. Used it against Norwich and had that really fantastic first half. Um, we'll get on to the second half in a bit. But more often than not, this tactic with the four at the back, the 2-2-2, two, 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 um, the high press, giving the ball to the opponent deep in their half seems to be functioning. And it seems to be giving us a better chance of winning games and winning games at home. And thank God for the season ticket holders that they've had two wins to, to view now as well. Yeah, I mean, it it, it seems to be a... I think it, it, it obviously is a formation where everyone has to do it. And I think, you know, it sounds silly, but if one week, if you have a weak link, it's like, you know, any sort of machine, it sort of falls apart. I think, again, um, you know, to talk to Carl Anker's, incredibly insightful pieces he had a song this week about Southampton maybe not having the quality of players for playing the way that Ralph wants to play 
Yeah. Um, and I think if, if all the players aren't on form, I think that's definitely true. But I, I agree. I think this kind of, you know, high press, you know, we, we don't seem to score many goals that aren't winning the ball high up the pitch or aren't set pieces. Yeah. You know, you know, I can't really remember the last time anyone sort of floated it, you know, floated in a 30 yarder. You know, it just doesn't seem to happen. We sort of are winning balls off the last man or we're playing off the shoulder. Um, or, or, or we're winning throw-ins, corners and free kicks. Yes. Which, when James Ward-Prowse is delivering like he is at the moment, I mean, that gives us an amazing opportunity. That, yeah, um, I mean, you can imagine that the Saints players must be yeah, licking their lips every time we've got a corner or every time the opportunity for James Ward-Prowse to get a ball in that box. And also, I've noticed James is now taking corners from both sides. Yeah. You know, previously, you'd give those up to Bertrand, maybe, um, but he's not. You know, so he's obviously got real confidence and his ability to hurt hurt teams now, and you know, I think if we if we had the sort of crashing centre backs that Man City enjoy, you know, in terms of getting the goals, or Tottenham enjoy, we'd be in a much better place. But fair play to James Ward-Prowse because he, him, and Danny Ings are sort of leading this, not single-handedly, but not far off it. Yeah, I'm I'm going to make a statement here, Tom. That James Ward-Prowse delivery for the Ings goal, the first goal against Norwich, is perhaps my favourite James Ward-Prowse free kick in terms of the, the quality of it and the way how it was executed so perfectly. It's, I mean, for me, it was an absolute thing of beauty because he whips it in so fast. It's in swinging. It's heading towards the goal. So the keeper's having to worry about if nobody touches this, I still need to save it. But if mm. anyone touches it, whether it's a defender or a Southampton attacker there's going to be danger as well and I might have to save whatever happens next. And, you know, he put it in at the at the near post, so hard, so beautifully weighted, and then Danny Ings just had to get the faintest of touches to make it a guaranteed goal. And I think almost yeah. anyone could have touched it and that would have gone in. It was it was so perfect. It was beautiful. I loved it. I, th- I thought it was an absolute thing of beauty and I want to celebrate that free kick. <laughs> well, you, you hear a lot about players and they say, you know, using, using the pace that's already on the ball. Yeah, and, that, and the difference that makes if you can get a ball, I don't know how much easier it makes your life. And you're right, it was, you know, that whole I, just, I hate the sort of corridor of uncertainty, wasn't it? Because it's almost like if someone doesn't clear this, it's it's an either an own goal or a score of Burns and Bradford score. Yeah. You know, like it was it was that sort of horrible area, and he, I liked it because he whipped in like a shot, didn't he? It was almost, yeah. you know, he was almost like I'm gonna shoot, but hopefully someone gets on the end of it, and. Yeah, he is, he is kind of stepping up. And, and I think was it that crazy statistic that like last season he didn't get a single assist all season. Yeah. That's something insane where everyone, you know, cause everyone talks about his brilliant free kicks and his brilliant corners. And actually, he doesn't actually register many assists. Whereas obviously, you know, it's a fantastic assist for the for the Danny Ings goal. And obviously, John, probably, you know, you want to talk about the, the right version goal as well. Yeah, well, I mean, that was just another fantastic corner and what I really liked about this was how how well worked it was so I mean it's obviously something they've worked on in the training ground because everybody knew exactly where they had to go and so James Ward-Prowse with the outswinging corner Shane Long with his incredible leap and I don't really understand how he's able to to leap like that but beautiful leap he's a hurler isn't he yeah um gets right up there and then flicks the ball back towards the uh the far post and there's Ryan Bertram running in with a very simple finish. 
Yeah, and it's also a very clever free kick, a uh, very clever corner sorry, to play if you're playing teams that leave people on the post because you're guaranteed to, to not be offside. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it, it works in that. And you can see it was something they worked on. The, the agonising thing will come to the Newcastle game. We did exactly the same thing against Newcastle with exactly the same combination of players and it didn't quite work right. um, when it was one all. But yeah, again, it shows some inventiveness from Saints and it shows you know, more players that can contribute. And I think Shane Long is going to have a big impact on Saints this season. It's funny, isn't it? Because we all got excited about Shay Adams. But ultimately, right now, it's all about Shane Long for Saints in terms of the second striker. Yeah, yeah. Doing, doing really, really well. Um, other things that happened in the first half, we had the Gineppo pot shot, we had the Hoiberg shot, we had a smattering of other attacks and chances. And I've got to say, when the final, uh, not when the final whistle, but when the whistle blew for the first half, I was kind of gutted because I felt like if that half had carried on for another five minutes, we might have been mm. three or four nil up. I, I didn't want I the agree. half to end at all. Yeah. And and also, two nil is a dangerous score, isn't it? Particularly, what Eddie scored for Saints is a dangerous score. <laughs> but two nil is a dangerous score. And, uh, and so it proves in the second half. Yeah. Um, the thing that really worried me at half time is uh, so so this was the first time Saints have been shown on Amazon, um, as it was for most Premier League teams. And Amazon had a uh, Opta stat up at half time, which showed the percentage chance of Saints oh, victory, yeah. a draw, and a Norwich victory. And they had Norwich as a one percent chance to win. And when I saw that stat, I just thought, oh god, you can't put that up. You know, if there's anything that's going to guarantee a Norwich win, it's like anyone saying that it's all over there's no hope anymore i saw that and i just thought oh god here we go i, I could just tell and uh, i was feeling a little sense of trepidation at the start of the second half because i know how kind of jekyll and hyde we've been in football matches this season you know where we have one good first half we'll have a terrible second half or if we have a terrible first half we'll have a good second half and you know we did have a pretty poor second half and I mean, Timo Puki got another goal. Yeah, I mean, we we knew that we Norwich had to come out, didn't they? And they had to attack, um, and they came straight out with a, a really good shot from Puki um, that tested Alex McCarthy. Uh, and I think the, the worrying, I mean, what was it? Look, you, you know, they're going to come out positive. Yeah, we did concede. It was a, it looked a bad goal to concede. Um, and I don't want to say that teams are deliberately targeting our right-backs, but it does seem to be teams are deliberately targeting our right-backs. Um, and certainly that right-sided combination of our centre with, with Stevenson and Cedric, uh, we'd look very vulnerable. Yeah. And it was, a fairly, it was a fairly strange goal, wasn't it? Because it was just a sort of simple pass that just sliced us completely open. It, it, it was, and I know that Ralph's been talking about how he plays a different sort of offside trap for VAR, and I think Cedric and Stevens were trying to play the VAR offside track, and Bednarek was playing a bit deeper, so that just didn't work at all. And, th and that misunderstanding, I suppose, between Stevens and Bednarek is what cost us there, along with... Uh, I suppose if Stevens is trying to play the offside trap, he's not looking to clear the ball... And, I mean, who knows what goes through Cedric's mind when he's playing a game of football. Um, but that, I mean, that that was the problem there. 
I don't know whether you pin that on Stevens, Bednarek or Cedric or just the combination of them all and thinking, well, is that going to get better when they play together more often or was that just a weird misunderstanding that, that led to that, as you say, really simple pass just splitting us wide open and giving Puki a, a perfect chance? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think we lack, we've said this many, many times before, but I think we lack leaders across the pitch. Uh, and I think in defence, where you probably need leaders more than anyone, we absolutely have a, a deficit there. And I think, you know, if you look at the way like Van Dyke commands his defence, and one of the amazing things about Van Dyke, and I know a lot of those fans are angry at him, but he is, you know, arguably, well, easily the world's best defender. He, you know, it's, the, it's actually the little amount of work he does because of the actual, because how well he organises the other players around him. Yeah. Um, and and Saints lack that kind of experienced head because Stevens has many, you know, attributes. But I don't think Stevens is, doesn't seem to be a born leader, and he no. doesn't seem to be a shouter. Um, and and Benrick's still very young as well. He, he Benrick's still very. I mean, the, the yeah. two of them are fairly young. I mean, what Stevens like twenty five, twenty six? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Benrick's what like twenty three. Um, maybe Cedric even younger. And, yeah. Yeah, and Cedric and Bertrand are the elder statesmen in that defence. Um, but we're playing with two relatively inexperienced centre-backs. Yeah. And I think it, it shows. And people are just, well, I guess we're going to come talk about Cedric because I don't think you can not talk about Cedric because people just seem to be hammering that channel for us. I mean, they did it against Arsenal, got a lot of joy. Yeah, uh, Arsenal did it against us and, we, um, yeah, and then we saw it again there against Norwich. Yeah, I mean, before we get on to the crazy last 15 minutes from Cedric, just kind of that offside trap and, and how it works. I mean... For our younger listeners, you won't remember this, but probably the m- most famous offside trap was the one led by Tony Adams and Arsenal. And he was just such mm. a clear leader and everyone knew what they were doing. You know, if Tony Adams steps forward, puts his arm up in the air, everyone steps forward. And he needs someone with that sort of commanding presence to make it work. Yeah. And, and we've had that with Van Dyke, We've had it with Jose Fonte. We've had it with Klaus Lundekvam and various others. And I think, you know, we do need someone to do that and take control, but... You're right. When you look at Bednarek and Stevens, who takes control there? Because Stevens, although he's the older of the pair, maybe you'd actually say, well, that should really be Bednarek's role because he's had, well, he's started all the games under Ralph Hasenhutl, so he's Ralph's man. So he, he should be the leader, but perhaps he doesn't have the uh, the personality for it. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, if you even if you think about. Um the players we've got on the bench. You know, you've got Yoshida with 100 international caps, World Cup player. Surely he's the leader. Obviously, Ralph doesn't think so. You've got Vestergaard, a giant of a man, you know, who has played in the, probably, you know, the best league in the world, the Bundesliga, and did really well. And as an international, again, obviously, Ralph doesn't consider him to be a leader. So if you're, if you're Ralph, you can only play with the, you know, the four centre-backs we've got. And, um, yeah, you know, none of them obviously he thinks are up to that task. So he's just making the best out of a bad situation. Yeah. And, you know, it, it does feel tough on on Stevens. He's he's not put a foot wrong. And what I would say about Stevens is he does appear to have, and this was certainly something I noticed in the Norwich game, or certainly sorry, in the Newcastle game. He seems to put this idea of trying to always play the ball. Out. You know, he's sort of just getting rid of it. Yeah which I think is a good thing. Yeah, I I I think so as well. I think, you know, defenders these days do like to play the ball, but there are times when you just need to hoof it into the stand, and Stevens has brought that to his game, and he seems to be using that most of the time quite well. 
Um, <coughs> so let's talk about Cedric because the last 15 minutes of that game, I think we're at sort of Ali Dia levels here. It didn't look like a professional football player playing football. It looked like that whole kind of idea of, you know, it's, it's kind of like your childhood dream, you know, where suddenly you're <laughs> in the team, but except you play well in your dream. And Cedric was kind of like probably the reality of if any of us suddenly ended up in the middle of a Premier League game playing for Southampton and being held you know, clueless. But I just don't understand what he was thinking for the whole last 15 minutes. Every time I looked towards him, my heart was in my mouth. I couldn't understand what he's doing. I couldn't understand his positioning. I couldn't understand the passes he was trying to make, the tackles he wasn't trying to make. He just had me terrified. And if we were playing a better team than Norwich, I think Cedric would have been seriously found out. Well, the biggest mystery is not Cedric. The biggest mystery is what's happened to Jan Valerie. You know, like, what happened to the blokes that Ralph was very happy to put in against Man United, against Tottenham, you know, against top, top teams with brilliant wingers last season? How has it gone so wrong so quickly for Jan Valerie? And Valerie wasn't even on the bench against Newcastle. So, you know, and Cedric was was very poor in the game we saw against Arsenal. I think he got, you know, Kieran Tierney had him every time um, on toast and he couldn't handle him. But you're absolutely right. Like, what is going on with Cedric? Cedric, I think there was a bit that kind of summed up Cedric's season, really, which was against against um, Norwich at the very end, which was then, as if you saw, like, Cedric sort of got down the wing and then sort of, this was like with like two minutes to go, sort of sliced it really high in the air and yeah. it sort of just dropped on the edge of the, you know, he had the opportunity to run the ball into the corner. He didn't. He sort of just sliced at it wildly and it dropped on the edge of the Norwich penalty area and they were able to come at us again. And you're like, well, what's he thinking? Like, what's his mental head? And this isn't just the footballer. Like, if you think about it, Cedric is arguably um, the most garlanded player in the Southampton squad. He's the only one who's won, you know, a major year, like international honour. Yeah, you know, he's he's not just a a jobbing footballer. This is a guy that's like that that should be amongst the best right backs in European football, and he just looks totally lost. But again, I, I spoke about it when they did it. The club was absolutely mad to let him do that interview in the Daily Telegraph because um, they must have let him do it. Because if they didn't let him do it, he shouldn't be anywhere near the squad. So where he comes out and says, you know, this will be my last season, but maybe he knows he's got a deal sewn up. You know, maybe he knows someone's going to, in January, he's going to get another contract on the table. They're talking about AC Milan, which is nuts, but, you know, nothing rewards like failure. And he, you know, maybe he knows that. So he's taking his spot off the gas. But right now, he's probably, if you look at the Samson 11, I have some reservations about McCarthy, but, you know, I don't think feel any better about Angus Gunn. But like, I'd say they're all working hard. The exception is, is, is Cedric, and, and and sorry to rant about it a little bit, but the most maddening thing is like, the way we're playing at the moment is actually, in the last couple of games, Cedric's had really good shooting opportunities yeah, from overlaps, and his shooting is terrible. You know, he just hits it straight at the keeper every time. Didn't it at Newcastle, straight at the keeper. And Valerie is someone we know who can really, really smash a ball. So, again, like, what's, what's going on with Valerie? I, I wonder if there's like personal things, you know, or his 
attitude or whatever it is, I don't know. But obviously, Ralph has just fallen well out of love with it. Yeah, I d- <clears throat> it, it, it is crazy. I, I'm going to uh, highlight a tweet from uh, Alessi78 on Twitter after I mentioned Cedric's performance against Norwich. He summed it up as, can't cross the ball to save his life, also can't stop crosses from coming into our box. For a modern-day fullback, that's not exactly ideal quali- qualities. And as for that lazy, aimless hoof at the end, dot, 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 I just don't understand why he's in the side. I mean, Valerie seems to offer so much more. Sure, Valerie's, I mean, his performance against Leicester was atrocious, but everyone was atrocious. Mm. I, I don't just, get it. I mean, yeah. there's something going on there, isn't there? It, it, you know, I mean, it, Ralph has spoken before about um, over, uh, over Femi's. He sort of alluded to things going mm. on with Femi. I don't know if it's a similar thing going on with Valerie about his lifestyle, that he doesn't like, or his attitudes. Um, we had the same problem with Bertrand I mean, earlier on in the season as well. Didn't it did, we? yeah. So, I mean, it's it, it's I obviously not something you know. Ralph is happy to fall out with players and keep them out of the side for things other than their footballing ability. It seems. Yeah, I mean it's worrying because Cedric is not our. Yeah, next season there will be no Cedric. There is that is without doubt. He's leaving. I would say, thanks for the memories. You know, if you think a relatively cheap signing, played a lot of games. On the face of it, overall, we've not been too bad. But you know, it's like when you leave any job, people really only remember you for the, your your character and the way you behave after you've resigned, because that is kind of what that kind of shows what you're made of, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And Cedric Absolutely. is showing himself to be. Yeah, he needs time away from that team. Yeah, um, he's not doing it for me at the moment. So, I mean, let's get on to the Newcastle game. Um, before we actually talk about the match itself, Tom, I've got to say that I, I set off with my wife and my son, <coughs> and the plan was we were going to go out, buy a Christmas tree, come back, maybe do a walk. So we went out, we started a, a walk um, on Dartmoor, and it was a bit windy, but the sun had cleared. And then suddenly this thunder and lightning storm rolls in. And bear in mind, we've gone to one of the highest parts of Dartmoor, so we're about you know, 400 metres above sea level. And this pouring, lashing rain comes in. There's lightning strikes. My wife, uh, who's pregnant as well, by the way, just does an army roll into a ditch to try and get away <laughs> from the lightning. I've got my f- uh, my son, who's just turned five this weekend, like holding my hands, going like, "Daddy, this is scary." And I'm like, saying, "Sophie, like, calm down, stop running, get out of that ditch. <laughs> we just got to get off the hill." Um, so, kind of like following all of that, I was just. Uh, before the Newcastle game started, I was just quite happy to get home and be alive and not have a, an electrocuted wife or son. Or I- I Probably actually what was most likely is that while she was trying to dodge lightning strikes, she might have kind of injured her ankle or something. I ever had to carry her off Dartmoor myself. <laughs> um, my son also uh, fell in a bog as well. So he was covered head to toe in mud <laughs> and I had to Poor lift Albert. him out. So I had mud all down myself as well. Um, so we were a right state by the time we got in and uh, that, that kind of uh, put things into perspective a bit. And then the other kind of odd family thing. So we did buy a Christmas tree and I got it back and I was putting up the Christmas tree whilst I had the Saints game on. And I've done the thing of buying a Christmas tree that's um, probably too big for the Christmas tree stand we've got. So this is what happens. You, you move from London to Devon, suddenly you have a bit more space for a bigger Christmas tree. Uh, no, train. John, we got upsold on a Christmas tree stand. I think Christmas tree stands are like the new new big scam because we got upsold on one as well. Did I was trying to stop yeah. the tree got too big for that stand, mate. 
yeah. going to cost me a tenner more. Yeah. Honestly, it's a scam. Well, I mean, we were using our Christmas tree stand from last year, and the tree was just about um, small enough to get it in the stand. But I did have the saw with me, and also had a pair of like sacketers with me to try and like chip off a couple of odd branches. I managed to get it in. At which point, my brother messages our little WhatsApp Saints supporting group saying that he's not watching the game. He's in A and E because he sawed straight through his finger whilst trying to trim down his Christmas tree to fit it in his Christmas tree stand. So, Tom, I think that extra tenner was worthwhile. <laughs> if my brother's experience was anything to go by. Oh yeah, no, I, no, I don't even have a, I don't have a saw. So the odds on that happening to me are pretty pretty okay. slim. But yeah, yeah. So uh, as my brother's saying that, I was looking at the saw on my kind of lounge floor going, well, thank God I didn't have to use that and didn't end up sawing off my fin- finger. Um, anyway, o- on to the football, I suppose. With all that sort of perspective, the fact that Saints have won two really, really important games. And I think if at the start of these three games you said you offer Saints fans six points out of the three games, I think most people would take it. Yeah. And also, can I just say, in Newcastle, I think a lot of Saints fans thought we'd get something in Newcastle. Newcastle had just drawn two all home to Man City. Yeah. They'd just come off a win against Sheffield United. And they'd actually only conceded seven goals at home all season. They're actually really quite good at home. Yeah, they're a bizarre team, aren't they? So, I mean, one of the things I quite like looking at is the XG Premier League table, which tells you about the, the quality of the... Um, the quality of the chances that teams have had and how many points they would have if their strikers were more effective at putting them away. And, y- you know, the obvious thing is that you have teams like Liverpool who have really good attackers, uh, also create loads of XG, so they t- create loads of really good scoring chances, and then they're up towards the top of the table, same with the likes of Man City, etc. Newcastle are breaking all the statistical models at the moment. So if you take XG and the quality of the chances that they've created, and the quality of the chances that they've conceded, they should be at the foot of the table. They should only have 11 points at this stage. But they're not. They're 10th. And they've got 22 points. So they're, like the, an- they're like the anti-Saints. Well, they're, they're just breaking the model. It's just really bizarre. Saints should be... Hang on. One. Ninth in the table based on XG. Hmm. Where are we? We're 18th. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so I mean... It's, so so whereas we're breaking the model the wrong way, Newcastle are breaking it the right way. Yeah, yeah, well they're, yeah so they're, they're being much more economical. And thus the game proves, I think, it's safe to say, John. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, if you looked at the XG model, you could probably predict that Southampton would create lots of good chances... Spurn many of them. Newcastle wouldn't have many, but they'd somehow score from them and end up getting all three points. And that's just what happened, isn't it? I mean, I, I don't know. Like, where to start with this game? It doesn't feel as what I would say. It doesn't feel as despondent as um, as, as other games we've lost. Yeah. Obviously, coming up the two game bounce. I think it was a good performance. Again, it was just a sort of smashing grab from Liverpool. I mean, I you know, I'm looking at this table now. And you know Newcastle aren't in that aren't in the bottom half. Yeah, yeah, this is a this is a good team that we played, and and I also look at this table now, and I look at like Bournemouth five losses in a row, Burnley three losses in a row. You know, we we did so well drawing that game against Arsenal, winning those two games. Because I mean, if we hadn't, we'd be down there with Watford. But 
but it, but we were all over them in the first half. And Nathan Redmond, the second one was difficult, but surely he had to score that first one, John. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those ones where you say fair play to him because he managed to create the chance for himself and then you want him to do much better with it though, don't you? And Redmond, I mean, it's it's weird because you'd argue that he's kind of like one of those guys who just needs something to go in and then it will work. Mm. But I mean, he has had a goal this season. He had that goal against Brighton. So, I don't know. I mean, we're, we're, we're suffering I mean, that goal with, with form and confidence, aren't we, with Redmond? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's still, I mean, what I would say, I mean, and I imagine the reason why Ralph is not dropping him is because he's still getting lots of chances and he's still causing teams a lot of trouble. Um, but and that he's, goal, he's still working you know, that, hard that as well, isn't he? He's pressing. Yeah, and he's still he, working hard. Yeah. And he's still, you know, chasing down and, and pressing from the front. I think what was frustrating was that chance. He, he created it all himself. He has the opportunity to, you know, go past Dubravka. Yeah. Or you know, or George Rebrav got on, but he doesn't. He shoots early, um, which is fine if it goes in. But he, he doesn't get enough height it, on it, does he? It doesn't get enough height, and he sort of tries to be clever and clip it over the goalkeeper's legs. But you're right; it doesn't get enough height on it. So it was frustrating. And then he had a good shot from the corner, you know, which you know you'd argue all you can really do is get that on target. But the first one, yeah. you know, if he scores that first one, you know, it's, it's happy days for Saints. But Overall, we played well in the first half, but, and, and like I agree with Ralph, there's only one team wanting to play football out there. Yeah, it's, it's funny with Ralph. I've not heard him complain about the opposition like that before, but I think he was just dumbfounded at what at Newcastle doing what Steve Bruce has made them very effective at doing, which is being this anti-football, anti-statistical model. Um, but they're doing it really well. Um, second half, I, I thought we started really well. I thought Danny Ings' goal was fantastic, and it was another really beautiful uh, through ball from Jack Stevens as well. Yeah, our playmaker that, we, that we've been talking about. It was a lovely goal, wasn't it? Yeah. And it was quite similar to the Norwich goal where he anticipates the defender. Uh, no, it's not, sorry, not Norwich. The um, the, Wolf, the Wolves goal, as yeah. we saw there, John, uh, where he kind of anticipates a mistake playing on the last man. And then he did, again, something very similar where he he's very good at because he's probably not the fastest. He doesn't try and run alongside opposition players. He he seems to do this thing where he prefers to cut in front of them. Yeah. Um, therefore, sort of nullify. I guess it kind of nullifies them because at that point, if they touch him, he's down. a red card yeah. and probably a penalty. And if they don't touch him, he gets the shooting. Horn's actually a really clever utilization of, of what probably is fairly limited pace Danny Ings has compared to like a Redmond. Um, but again, it's another really smart finish because it sort of bounces in front of him, but he lashes it past Dubravka. Yeah, and let's talk about Danny Ings now because that's we've talked about Danny Ings' goal in all three fixtures that we've talked about on this episode, and he's got five and five now. He's absolutely on fire. N- no Saints player has done that since James Beattie. James Beattie. Yeah, and the man before yeah. him that did that, Matthew Letizia. So he's in good company. He's yeah, he's going great guns. I'd love to see it make it make it, see him make it six in the row. That'd be fantastic, and I I think he will. The thing with Danny Ings, it, and what you're saying that he picked up on his his kind of positioning, the way that he runs, the way he utilizes defenders. I think Danny Ings is an incredibly intelligent football player, and he's not in mm. the kind of like intelligent football player of you know the hipster likes to sit back, sip on their 
um, glass of, uh, well, I know it's Rioja for you, Tom, and you know, watch someone like Pirlo or Jack Stevens playing these beautiful long balls, you know, um, and that sort of vision. It's a very different sort of football intelligence that you don't, I don't think you see it in that many players, but he's he's gnarly. He's street smart, isn't he? Yeah, and I think he he clearly um, knows what he's good at, doesn't he? So like he he knows that he like he doesn't he hasn't scored apparently a single Premier League goal from outside the box. So he knows, you know, he doesn't. You don't really see him shoot from thirty yards, and right. and to be fair to Saints, you don't really see. And you know, this is something that Ralph has talked about a lot, isn't it? It's, you know, Saints aren't, aren't shooting actually a lot from 30 odd yards, 35 yards. You know, they don't re- often take these sort of speculative shots because they know that, you know, to your point, John, about XG, you, they know that the odds on actually one of them going in is actually, unless you're like De Bruyne, it's actually fairly low. And you're much better off trying to get shots closer to the goal. Um, and Danny Ings is all about that, isn't he? He's just getting in horrible positions. And, you know, one of the best slash worst things that can happen for Saints, I think, is if Danny Ings gets in the England squad. Because we all know, if, well, from what we read, how fragile Ings' fitness is. Mm. And, yeah, those international breaks are, his, are probably how he's making it through. You know, yeah. cause he's playing every game. And, um, you know, and the worst thing for Saints could be, you know, if you look at England forwards, yeah, Harry Kane definitely in the squad, Rashford definitely in the squad. You start to look past that, you know, Callum Wilson at Bournemouth, mm, maybe not. You know, you could see Ings maybe getting a call-up um, to see if he can England offer England something, but then he doesn't get a break. So I'd really, you know, I'd really like to see, you know, you want to see him recognised, but maybe when we're, when we're safe. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's look at the top goal-scoring charts at the moment. Jamie Vardy, 16 goals, but he's retired uh, from international football. Tammy Abraham, 11. Marcus Rashford, 10. And then, um, you know, from the English players, you've got Harry Kane and Danny Ings on nine goals each. So, I mean, that is good company to be keeping, isn't it? Yeah. And and also, I mean, you know, Harry Kane is playing with Deli Ali. He's playing with Soko behind him. He's playing with Son alongside him. You know, if, God, if one of those can't play, then they have to poor, poor lovies at Spurs have to bring Lamella off the bench. You know, like, they've got like a wealth of attacking players. And, and you know, so Harry Kane scoring these goals. Danny Ings is just doing it really by himself, isn't he? You know, like he's fighting for these goals. And and, and he's a different sort of striker as well, isn't he, from, from what England have. He's not in any way, shape or form like Kane or Rashford. Um, and he doesn't take penalties. No, no. So, yeah. Anyway. Unlike Rashford, unlike Kane. For Danny Ings at the moment, I'm sure the uh, Saints fans and listeners will will be enjoying his form as well. Um, remember, of course, if you want to send in any gushing reviews of any of our players, uh, it's saintsfcpodcast at gmail.com. Um, unfortunately, we're going to have to talk about the Newcastle resurgence. Um, Andy Carroll gets brought on, and this is where the trouble starts, isn't it? I mean, Ralph described him as a 10-foot-tall player. That's probably just how big he looks against some of our pathetic defending. Yeah. I mean, Ralph talked about him like he was like something out of Game of Thrones, but in the middle of a battle that, you know, the, the goodies are winning, that like this just sort of thing appears that no one can defeat. Um, I, I think Ralph maybe gives, I don't know, he seems to give, um, seems to give Carol too much credit. 
almost. I think, you know, it's not so much about how good, um, you know, he is, because he's not that unusual. You know, he's just a really big, he's a really big bloke. But you'd think between Stevens and Bednarek, we'd have enough experience to kind of deal with him. But they mm. kind of fell to pieces, didn't they, with him? Yeah. But also, I think, I, I think as well, like more, maybe what Ralph didn't say, which I think is definitely true, is the lift that he sort of, because he, he's a bit talismanic, isn't he? And the sort of lift that he gives Newcastle's players and the crowd in particular yeah. when he comes on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in the build-up to that um, Shelby header, we had obviously the Andy Carroll cross, but this all came from a free kick with Cedric oh, basically being a complete and utter moron again. But why didn't he try and head it? I, d- I mean, this is... The What's he doing? Like I just trying to don't jump understand Cedric the at the moment. I don't like slagging off our players, Tom. I really don't. But Cedric has just got me completely baffled at the moment. John, like, if you think about it, like, what's he trying? Why is he trying to do that? Like, why is his thought process um, that he will jump, what, like, two foot, three foot in the air and do, like, an in there standing scissor kick to get the ball away? Like, where do you even think that ball's going to go? I don't know. I mean, it's going to probably go behind it back into the San Benito area because that's, you know, the trajectory of his foot. It's crazy, isn't it? I mean, he really just should have headed that out for a throne, which we would have been able to deal with. But it's bad decision making, isn't it? Like we saw it against Arsenal, where instead of tracking Martinelli for the for the for the equaliser, he gets lulled forward and they lob a ball over his head. Because he's, he's only like me; he's only little. So, like, you know, but it's, it's bad decision making, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, like this all comes down to decisions that that players make in the in the in a millisecond, and Smart players make smart decisions, and Cedric is making bad decisions, and Saints are getting punished because of that. Yeah, uh, and then, you know, of course, the Shelby header is a back post header, of, of course, it wouldn't be anywhere else. Um, but then we almost so immediately take the lead again with the exact same corner routine that we had from, from yeah. Norwich with the James Will Prowse outswinger, long flick on, and then Bertrand. What I can only describe his header as a clearance off the line. It was almost... I don't know how he managed to miss it, because obviously he had all the goals to, to hit. Um, maybe he didn't expect it to come at him from that angle, but you're right, it was exactly well, the same he, he, he must have been expecting it. Uh, what My theory is that he got there too early. Mm. So he yeah, was expecting it. Hit, it hit the wrong part of his head. Yeah, and he was already going for it, because he knew exactly where it was going to go. And then he was, you know, he was so quick to react, knowing exactly what he'd done against Norwich in the game before. He's getting himself in that position, and almost he was too far in front of the ball, and then it hits the top of his head rather than his forehead. Fifty p head. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was it's fine margins, isn't it? And I think if that goes in, what's it then? Is it two one? Yeah. And then I think that that deflates St James's Park, and they don't go on and get the winner. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But they did. I mean, uh, do we have to have a conversation about McCarthy? I, I think you know what it's like the flapping against Arsenal. I mean, this spill was pretty bad, wasn't it? I mean, it was a long shot. It was hit quite hard, but most keepers won't. Most keepers, if they spill it, they only spill it a foot in front of them, so they can then smother the ball again. I don't know how it comes straight back out to Fernandez. 
and, and to be honest, there were two other Newcastle players there waiting. Yeah, they were. And also, why is there three Newcastle players anticipating that and no Southampton defenders anticipating that? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I don't think, I don't know what Saints can do about goalkeepers because I don't think McCarthy is, is certainly any worse than Angus Gunn. No. I think he probably seems, I think we seem to play better with McCarthy. I think he gives um, the defenders more confidence and that's why yeah. he's in and the his side. his distribution seems to be a bit better. Yeah. But we have to look at, yeah, you can't get away from the fact that they could he have done better with their car walk goal? Could he have done better with the the uh, Lacazette second goal? Yeah. Could he have done better with that goal? And those are, you know, those goals are, that's what, you know, that's what, like five points? Yeah. Um, right there, or, or certainly three points. So, I don't know. I, I mean, you, you know, you're loath to Chris. I mean, also, is this like Jack Stevens syndrome where because we have so many chances going against us, that, you know, just there's just the odds are that one of them is going to go in. But you're right. You think, you know, on their first day at goalkeeper school, they're told, like, if you, if you get this shot, it goes as far away in a sort of as, a, as an angle away from you as it can do. Yeah. It can't go straight back out. And it's a all, smart finish. All, you're right. Like, hold why? Yeah, but like, why were none of the why were none of the Saints players anticipating it? Why were I don't know. I don't know. It, it seemed a cheap goal to give yeah, away yeah. to lose a game like that where we played so well. Um, whilst we're talking about goalkeepers, we have got another goalkeeper on our books. Yeah, Forster, and um, young sure English that, guy. Yeah, I'm sure most Saints fans would have noticed uh, that he had a man of the match winning performance to win Celtic the League Cup against Rangers. Um, I've watched the highlights reel of this and Fraser Forster has an absolute blinder. He saves a penalty, saves a fantastic long shot, which is up high. I know he doesn't like the long shots that are down low. Um, does really, really well. But, say, I mean, I like seeing Fraser Forster doing really well. There is one thing, though, I did notice him not coming for a cross. So he is still... Still a vampire. Yeah, still a vampire. Uh, but from shot stopping, I mean, you couldn't fault him. He was, he was marvellous against Rangers. And he... I'm really pleased for him. He looks like he's got his confidence back. He looks like he's enjoying playing football again, which I certainly didn't see in the last 12 months of Fraser Forster at Southampton whilst he was actually in the team. Yeah. I mean, I could he possibly come back? Would he want to come back? I mean, I don't know whether he's going to earn the same amount of money playing at... I mean, it, 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 you, what you believe is true, still Southampton's most highly paid player. Mm. Um which was, for, which was fair much. enough at the time because you know yeah. well, he set our clean sheet record. We were like seven hundred minutes without conceding a goal. I mean, can you imagine if we went seven hundred yeah. minutes without conceding a goal now? I mean, God, like the, the days of Van Dyke in front of Van Dyke and Fonte in front of Foster seem a long time ago, don't they? Yeah. Really, you're only talking about three years ago. Um, but yeah, could he come back? I don't know. Would he want to come back? Would Saints fans accept him? I, I think you know. Would Saints have signed Angus Gunn if the long term strategy was to get? Foster back. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if Foster did come back and McCarthy's the one to ship out. Mm. McCarthy's just turned 30. Yeah, McCarthy would make a very good second goalkeeper for, say, Liverpool. Yeah. Or an Arsenal. Yeah. You know, like, he'd definitely make, and he'd make a good living doing that, whether he'd want to do it, or even like a Chelsea. Yeah. So, um, you know, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I think there's always that thing as well as if Foster comes back. You know, after playing in Scotland, and everyone just says, "Well, it's the Mickey Mouse League," 
and then he has a bad first day back. You know, does he ever get his confidence? I don't. I don't know. There's so many questions in there with Force. There's so many. It's, he's such an enigma of a man. Yeah, Tom. I think the answer is that we don't have the answers. So, listener, get in <laughs> contact. Uh, you know the email address by now. Um, we've we've talked about the resurgence of Shane Long, and we've talked about Jack Stevens quite a lot. So. Um, as we've approached the hour mark of this podcast, and well done, listener, for sticking us for this long, we've gone past one calendar year of Ralph Hasenhutl. We've had, I think, 39 games with him now. Um, just a highlight, Tom, his record, 38 league games, 12 wins, 49 goals and 45 points. I think we'd probably take a 45-point season, certainly this season. Um, but I, yeah, so where are we now? We're 16 games, 15 points. So if the season ends tomorrow, we would have what, like relegated. Say six points. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we're going to take this form into the rest of the season. I think we're going to be fine. But yeah, I don't know. I love Ralph. I love the passion. I love the energy. I love the enthusiasm. I love the honesty. I do think he's bitten off a hell of a job here with the players we've got. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he's got a tough job. Um, I, I don't think he's taken us as far as we'd hoped. I mean, certainly at the start of the season, I think we were all expecting a bit more. But perhaps we were being unreasonable with, with Ralph. I mean, I don't know what, what your thoughts on that are. Um, a few games ago... Obviously, there have been questions asked. We were second bottom in the league. We hadn't won for yonks and yonks and yonks, and so questions do get asked. Now we've had three of these very key five fixtures. We're kind of midway through that. I'd, I'd make the argument that I think Ralph is the man. I think we stick with him for the rest of the season. I think I'd like to see him with us next season as well, obviously depending on how the rest of the season goes. But, um, And I think we may get out of the relegation battle at some point. Yeah, I, I agree with all those things, John. I, I can't see a, I can't see us going down. I think we've got two good players. I think too too many good players. I know everyone always says that. But if you look at, I mean, tonight, you know, West Ham, West Ham next. You know, tonight, West Ham are 1-0 up against Arsenal and have completely collapsed in, the, in 10 minutes. We're losing 3-1 at home. You know, we've got them next. Um, you look, you've got they're on a terrible run of four, you know, four losses. This will be there. This will be four losses or five losses in six games for them. You've got Bournemouth, five losses in a row. You've got Watford, who look just, you know, dead. I'd argue Norwich after the sort of disappointment of losing home to Sheffield United. Um, you know, I, I think, I think we'll be fine. I think we're not going to. I think the same time, we think we're not going to get a better manager than Ralph. You know, Ralph's as good as it's going to get for Saints. And we need to embrace that and recognise the job he's doing with, you know, if you look at Arsenal, Benrack's good, but Benrack, you know, Stevens probably wouldn't get into many other Premier League teams as much as we do like him. You know, he's making a bit of a silk purse out of a Sal's ear and he's also making players that haven't really consistently performed mm. perform, like James Paul Prowse. Um, you know, he's, he's got the best out of Redmond, maybe not this season, but he did last season. Um, you know, I just, I feel, I feel that he's, he's, I feel that maybe the signings. I think we di- we definitely needed another centre back, and I'm not quite sure why we didn't get one. Obviously, Shay Adams hasn't worked out, so 
that's my worry is whether the signings are right. But obviously that goes beyond Ralph, that goes to the structure of the club, um, which hopefully they're looking to rectify now. Yeah. And uh, I mean, if we look at our, say, let, let, let me just, I've probably, I've got two trails of thought here. One is that this season seems to be a very strange season. And the fact that the whole mid table down to us um, in the last place of the relegation zone is pretty tight. So, from I think sixth down to eighteenth, there's nine points separating, and it's all very evenly spread. So, at one point, I think we were up to thirteenth when we were beating Newcastle on on the live league table. Um, but really, you know, even Sheffield United, who had a cracking start to the season, they're on twenty two points. That's a really really good start. That's exactly where they'd want to be at this stage of the season. Um, but even they're not safe yet. Um, they yeah. could be drawn into it. Palace could be drawn into it. Newcastle could be drawn into it if the XG, if they stop breaking the statistical models and the results start going the way that football statistics tells us they should. Brighton could could still be sucked into it. Burnley could be sucked into it. Everton, I think, will escape from it. Bournemouth are dropping like a stone. West Ham, again, you'd say they're players are probably too good to go down. Villa, who've had a really good start to the season, they're on the same points of us. Um, so there's there's literally everything to play for. But I think this season you'll see Watford go down. And I think you'll see actually two other fairly decent teams go down. I think it's going to be really yeah. fine margins this season. I just hope that we've got enough yeah. to get through. Um, I mean, if you, if you hit with four points off Norwich, um, with the same goal difference, more goals scored. Um, yeah, I goal agree. difference wouldn't be a great thing for it to go down to this season, would it? No, but I mean, but having said that, you know, if you look, we've got so we've got West Ham next. You know, we. I mean, this is a ridiculous thing, isn't it, about this league? Like two wins to see Saints for, for like thirteen, um, twelve, thirteen. But then you're still only probably four or five points away from going back to the relegation zone. I think Saints have to focus on. Yeah, they're going to be very disappointed. We've got West Ham on Saturday. Saints are going to be tremendously disappointed if they can't get a result against West Ham. Yeah, you know, that is a game where we really underperformed last season at home and away. Um, with with West Ham taking six points off us, so Saints have to on TV on Saturday night get something, get three points from West Ham because that's the difference, isn't it? That dregs. I mean, West Ham are down there. I mean, to be honest, wouldn't surprise me if we're playing. Uh, another manager mm. on Saturday. I think maybe you know that could be the result tonight. Sixty-nine minutes at home, winning one nil. By sixty-eight minutes, losing three-one. That could be the end of Pellegrini. Um, so that'll be interesting. What it does to what it does to, to West Ham. But you know, if we can get three points on Saturday, I don't. I'd like to be the team drag that, West Ham that does into the uh, killer blow. You know, I like. Well, yeah, I'd, I'd rather they wouldn't triple, change it. it. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I think. Saturday's game, like in all this run of games, if you look at what we've got, we've got West Ham on Saturday. Who have we got after that, John? Is that is it Chelsea after that? Um, no, it's not. No, no, we've got Villa before Chelsea. So Villa. We've got Villa on the 21st so then, and Chelsea. So if on you Saturday. look, like, we we will have played in our last five games. We will have played four the four teams around us. Yeah, as it stands. That, in a in six in a yeah in a five Which game is nuts, run. Yeah. When when's that probably ever happened in the Premier League? I don't know, but like, so this is an unprecedented opportunity. And if it's a big if, but if Saints can get three points against West Ham, 
and then they can turn in a performance, even a draw against Villa. You know, it just brings these teams, particularly like them. And I don't know about you, John, but I would love to see West Ham go down. Oh, yeah, it'd be good fun, wouldn't it? Oh, that'd be great. That'd be a great yeah. day for football. Um, so, so, yeah. So the reason why I'm saying that I think Ralph is the man to, to get us through, and it's all about if the players can do what he's asking them to do, like they did in that game against Norwich in the first half, like they did in the game against Arsenal, then the tactics will work. And if the players commit to Ralph, I think we can get out of this and have a finish, you know, maybe somewhere between 12th and 15th. That's considering the start of the season we've had, that would be amazing. Yeah. Anyway, I, I think we'd hope to be positive in this episode and, you know, six points out of a possible nine from the games we're talking about. I think that's good, Tom. I think we're, we're, we're moving in the right direction. The Newcastle game was disappointing, but we've got two very winnable fixtures coming up and hopefully we'll win one or two of them. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I mean, I, I, I could, I'd love to. I mean, we owe West Ham something. Yeah. Um, so let's take it out on them. And then you know, they'll, go to, they'll go to Villa full of beans. Yeah, brilliant. All right, Tom. Well, I think that draws this episode to a close. I hope you have a very enjoyable birthday tomorrow. And thank you very thank much you for very joining much, me John, tonight. Thank you very much, John. Thank you. All right, John. We'll speak soon. Yeah. Cheerio, listeners. Take care, mate. Bye. Bye.